Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience Podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Hello, I'm Trent Malachik. I'm Dana Zook. And Josh Bouchong. Welcome back to another episode of Extension Experience, and we're going to talk some today about the drought and kind of the lack of rainfall that Oklahoma's been experiencing through the month of June. You know, as depending on when you're listening to this episode, we have some relief uh, either on the horizon or currently falling across the state, but that's not necessarily going to get us out of the situation that we're in. And this has been an abnormal year. We came off of 2018 and 19 kind of more normal grazing patterns and we're getting now into 2020 is kind of a little more of a drought year and uh, running out of some forage as we move in through the summertime or into the summertime even because what summer hasn't even technically began yet no it's the 22nd (laughs) right maybe that's yeah as we currently record this and we're coming out of actually late spring running out of grass which just isn't necessarily something i ever like to think about Uh, But that is part of living in a semi-arid region of the country and something that we have to deal with. And today, I think on the docket, we're going to talk some about stocking rates and pasture management, trying to maximize forage. I'll talk some about programs that we can go through through the government, USDA, and some of those uh, relief programs for drought. But before I just ramble on too much about this, uh, Dana, what, what do you see out there across the state and why do you think we're running out of grass. Well, so um, Oklahoma is very diverse. I want to make sure our audience knows that. So we are here uh, recording in Enid, Oklahoma. And currently before today, today we're recording on uh, the middle of June. So so just so the uh, listeners know that. But um, so it was getting very dry. We've gotten um, to the point where a lot of producers either need to move pastures um, or think about, you know, um, getting an alternative forage or feed source for their cows. I've had a few calls in the last couple of days actually about uh, feeding cows more of from like a supplementation standpoint that we would think about in the winter. So they're starting to feed hay. What sort of supplement do I need to pair with hay? And so um, that's what's going on in this location now. In the eastern part of the state, it's pretty different, right? Yeah. We've had quite a bit of rainfall. I think uh, from, I printed off a Mesnet report here, 90-day rainfall accumulation according to today. And I'm not sure it includes today's rainfall. But so right now out in Boise City, we've had in the last 90 days, one inch. And that's in our Oklahoma panhandle, the area, one of the areas that we all cover. Down to about Idabel which is way Southeast Oklahoma has had 20 inches in 90 days. So very diverse, the Eastern part of the state, those guys out there, they say that they are wet, right? I don't know if you've heard anything from out there, Josh. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. They're always a few days away from a drought. So they always get dry pretty quick. Their soil profiles are different. You have more forest area in that region of the state. You get down towards Idabel and, Soils can be shallower compared to some of our native rangelands. So you know, they get more rainfall. They need more rainfall mm-hmm. and in terms of the way they manage their their grassland as well. But you mentioned the last few months. I know at least north central Oklahoma, we've had a lot of references back to 2011. 
of that major drought and just depends on where you are kind of if you look at the drought monitor from garfield county down southwest of dewey county there's a strip through there that's definitely in the d2 severe drought and so for guys like them we've definitely had a bigger impact but if you compare the whole state back to 2011 obviously 2011 was really worse in the far western tier counties up into the panhandle but is more severe over a wider area but this year for some guys it is worse than it is uh, from 2011. Well, we even have some D3 extreme drought, which is important to note in terms of livestock forage disaster payments. Uh, it all base, is based off of the drought monitor and how long you've been in those different types of drought. But I've seen a lot of comparisons back to 2011, and we're still not we're still not close to touching that summer. Well, <laughs> luckily, wonder, luckily. I wonder if it too 2011. I don't remember what year it was, but how many days we had over 100 degrees? So we yeah. haven't got quite there yet. So for 100 days, yeah, over 100 it was, degrees. It was ridiculous. Um, so. We are not quite there yet. I think the warm temperatures that we've had in the wind has been particularly drying. The unique thing about Western Oklahoma that I've come to learn is that the evaporation is so high. Um, you can just for crops and for everything, I won't talk to talk about crops, but, but just for grasses and that sort of thing, you've got just very high um, rates of uh, evaporation. So things just dry out very quickly, uh, flash droughts, that sort of thing. Um, so in the Oklahoma panhandle, just to kind of give you an idea from across the state, we, we have what we call short grass prairie. The range uh, for total grass growth uh, tonnage is about 1,000 to 2,000 pounds of forage breaker. And now that will vary, but on a normal year, we could see that. We see kind of this area is kind of a mixed grass prairie. So the Enid, Central Oklahoma prairie, Central Oklahoma area is a mixed grass prairie with both tall and short grasses. And then you know, Southeast Oklahoma, very, very different. So forested areas, it's, uh, what they call, um, some of the, um, kind of like a cross timbers, but into more of a timber type area. Some of those areas are so rocky that, um, they grow great grass, but that's all they can do. That's not crop ground. That's not anything there. Um, Northeast tall grass prairie, um, of course the Flint Hills kind of area, Osage area that can be, um, much more production there. You can get up to 5,000, 6,000 pounds per acre there. And then I skipped Southwest, but they're also kind of a mix, but more bordering down into that short grass prairie area. So very, very different. Um, and here we are talking about native grasses. And I, from that perspective, improved grasses, they grow Bermuda grass and some of those improved grasses all over the state. So um, uh, just varied, especially from the rainfall. And so, you know, from a livestock standpoint, it gives us kind of an indication um, what we should stock our pastures at from a rainfall standpoint. Now, like Trent said, it's hard to he said this earlier, it's hard to, you know, pick what is our average rainfall because it can be so high one year and so low the next. And what's the middle of that? I mean, yeah. And you also got to think about in this part of the state where heavy crops on the ground are our best ground. So whenever you think about where cattle are grazing, it tends to be marginal land, uh, extreme slopes, probably you got some 20 or 30% slopes in some of those pastures that aren't growing much grass at all. You have exposed shale uh, bars in those pastures. So I, 
think about if you're an improved grass grower, if maybe if you have Bermuda grass growing on some class one and two farmland, well, your stocking rates are going to be much different than that guy growing or raising cattle on native grass pastures. It's ground that's way too rough to even drive a sprayer over and you got to spray it with the plane. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this is a wide range of different types of uh, soil across the state and uh, different places where we graze cattle. So that's one of the best best things about cattle is they're very adaptable to the different situations you put them in, but you got to also think about that whenever you're planting. Yeah. So last year, last couple of years, like Trent said, we've had pretty good rainfall. So there's been some producers that have purchased some cows to take into some excess forage they have. Now, some of them, I think, have gotten stuck there, right? Kind of in this time period. Lots of situations in the past five or six months that we've seen that probably has made them keep those older cows that they may have sold. But now, um, from what I've heard uh, in the last couple of days, is there's some guys that say, yeah, I should have sold those cows and I'm overstocked and now I've got to feed them. Um, so we don't want to get stuck in that stocking rate ro- rate roller coaster where we're overstocked and then it comes down to this this dry times. But I know um, that's hard to avoid sometimes. Yeah, and I've got some cattle concentrated on some smaller pastures right now, trying to get them made off before I get into the late summer period and and later into winter. Whenever I think about trying to stockpile some grass and where they're going to live out the rest of the winter, so. Yeah, I'll, I'll have cattle stocked probably twice as heavy on a pasture as they're supposed to be because I'm trying to get that pasture, get the usable forage off of that pasture before I move those cattle. And here recently, I was getting into a situation where they were running out of something to eat a little bit faster than I was ready for them to. And I was trying to debate, do I supplement feed? Do I put a bit hay bale out there to, to get them by for the next few months uh, until I want to move them? And, you know, it's not a question that's easy to answer. And they've been supplementing them just about every day because it's easier to get them to come to cubes than it is to just yell at them. So they, they do tend to get a little bit of supplement uh, just in that way and kind of adjust the amount of cubes I give them uh, on a daily basis based on the type of grass that's growing out there and the type of rainfall I've been having. Well, that's the, really the definition of intensive early stocking. So not a lot of people will stock 365 days a year on the same ground. So that's what we think about. Like, here, you know, some of our stocking rates are around 15 acres on the native range, you know, native grass, 15 acres per cow, maybe a little bit more. But if you're stocking, you know, just for two months out of the summer early on, you can double that rate or triple that rate um, just as long as you're not grazing it to the ground or something like that. So, yeah, that's kind of a good caveat. I might uh, ask Josh to comment on that a little bit. What is overstocked in terms of plant health when we're talking about our native grasses? Are there rules of thumb that guys can use or the physiology of that plant that we can kind of look at to kind of help us understand what we're doing to the plant as we graze it and what's happening underneath the soil to compensate for some of that grazing? That's the first concept you got to wrap your head around is you're dealing with the perennial crop. And most of our native grasses need some recovery in the fall. So we have a decent plant coming back next spring. So whether you're, you are haying your native grasses or you're stocking it too heavy, if you start getting below those four inch plant height, you start to stress that crop and it can't recover as fast because the only way to develop roots is to have good top growth. And so if we're grazing too hard or mowing it too late in the year to put up as hay and cutting it too low, we're not giving that plant 
resources to build up carbohydrates in those roots to survive the winter and come back stronger next year. That's the reason we have some stands thin out and some less desirable plants come back in. That all goes back to that stocking rate. Well, that plant's harvesting sunlight for you. At the end of the day, we rent ground because sunlight hits it, and that's what we're harvesting. It's kind of like our little solar panels out there as those plants. And whenever you, you think about haying a crop and you cut it off at the ground, you remove all the leaves and all the material that plant has to conduct photosynthesis and collect sunlight. So the only way you can regrow those roots or those leaves is from the roots that stored energy. And then whenever we start grazing our grasses lower and lower and lower across or, you know, throughout the drought period that keeps robbing from those roots, those stored energy, and then your roots get shallower and you don't have access to some of that subsoil moisture. And that's where we see flash drought really get us into a bind. Except, and you can see that on some of those slopes, or at least I do in the pasture, you'll see those slopes start burning up faster. And you can think about those, those plants either don't have as much soil to access, whether it's because of shale or rock or different things across the field, or if it just has to do with the, uh, you know, those plants being overgrazed and not having a good extensive root system. And another thing we've seen areas have some lighter ground down by the river, sandier ground. If you overgraze it, it starts to get blowing on you. So mm-hmm. you can definitely lose a stand of native prairie pretty fast by overgrazing that way as well. I just think of, we have a really good fact sheet. I'm trying to re- really remember which one it is that shows those pictures of you you graze the plant, you know, this far and the roots start growing for this amount of time. It's like if you graze it, you know, less than 50, you know, 50% of the plant height, then it stops, the plant stops growing for 30 days or something like that. It's kind of, it's really an interesting visual, uh, to look at. Of course we can't show that to the listeners, but it is a kind of something to really think about. And some of our guys are maybe heavier on the farmer side and rangeland side often have the Concepts that, well, we've dumped more inputs into it, throw more fertilizer onto it, spray it with herbicides and get that to be more productive. And obviously you need water to do that. So under drought conditions, putting out extra nitrogen is not going to help you that much. You'll take advantage of when you do get rain, but if you do have some less desirable species, uh, certain weeds like pig weeds are going to be higher in nitrates. We'll have issues if we over fertilize uh, for what the plant can utilize. So they don't necessarily recommend to fertilize native grass, native pastures, right? Under grazing scenarios, yeah, it's usually not very economical. Uh, But there are some cases, especially if we're haying, it has some economic incentives to have more production per acre. But typically, yes, we have data says we can increase that tonnage, put fertilizer down, but usually... We haven't seen that increase in daily gains or anything like that to really take advantage off the hoof. Okay. And then Bermuda grass is something totally different. So in improved grasses. Yeah. Improved grasses, we can definitely see a bigger response. Uh, It's almost linear for how much nitrogen you have. And usually the the bottom factor limiting your production is going to be rainfall. So, Mm -hmm. but. Yeah. Bermuda grass. So if we go down that route, you can actually graze that a little bit heavier, um, utilize that a little bit. You, you And I don't want to um, turn misuse it or anything, but you can kind of abuse it a little bit more. Um, the native range, and it does, a lo- it does a little bit better. It can handle that. Um, 
but with rainfall, like you said. So a uh, year long carrying capacity, um, you can do about 75%. You or, utilize 75% of that plant and it still recover really, um, really well. So um, compared to native grasses, we say 25 to 50% utilization rate. I think it's important to remember how these grasses evolved and the native range going back to before this area was farmed. You, know, you think about how a native plant competed with its neighbors out in the on the prairie. You had to be resilient to fire yeah. mm-hmm. and you had to grow taller than everybody else. And or if you weren't growing taller, as we get into the panhandle and the short grass prairies, you had to conserve moisture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think about eating off a big blue stem plant down to the ground. That's never the way that plant lived its life in a, in a natural setting in a, in a situation where it wasn't overgrazed. Because well, that's it, another concept is it was overgrazed by herds of buffalo, but it was short lived. It wasn't for months on end. It was just a quick yeah. nip it off and it had time to recover. It was allowed to recover. And that, and that's not the way we, we ever approach this yeah. stuff. <laughs> you, you drive by a, a paddock of, with cattle in it that's overgrazed and all the grasses are short. And what you end up seeing in that situation is the native grasses can't compete. So some of like Bermuda grass, it's more prostrate growing along the ground, ends up surviving, but then it's also dominated by your some of your native weeds like thistles and nightshade that you know can compete because they're covered in spines and nothing's going to eat them. <laughs> that's the only reason why, why they're still out there. A cat, a cat will eat a broadleaf weed as long as it's not uh, you know, resembling a cactus. And I think that that's a really good point too. You know, the buffalo coming to graze across the prairie. So that, that prairie was able to recover during the growing season. It had rest probably, I would assume it was eaten off and then it had rest during a time when it's moisture, when there was moisture. Some people who say, well, I give my pastures rest. I don't run on them in the winter time. Well, they're not actually getting a lot of moisture in probably the driest time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not actively growing, um, putting some of that energy back into the root system. And so it is pretty important to kind of have a rotational system so that you can give some of your pastures a rest during the growing season. That kind of goes back to the fertilizer too. There wasn't a magical machine that came over the prairie and fertilized those native grasses. So they became very efficient with the nitrogen that they were given and the kind of recycling nature of the prairie where everything eventually made it back to the soil and, and was recycled. But nowadays we, you know, you'll wean five or 600 pounds a cow and that, that whole animal is removed. Well, that grew out of something, the minerals and everything that go into making a living animal are taken out of the soil. And so, you know, it might behoove some of us to, to go ahead and soil sample some of those pastures, but just remember that there's not very few instances where you know, nitrogen fertilizer at least is going to pay in terms of fertilizing our pastures. We also have to think about if we have converted farmland back to pasture, pH can be a big issue too. Uh, if we've lowered that pH through nitrogen fertilizer application and then turn that back into a Bermuda field or back into a pasture for our cattle, that could be a situation where soil sampling would be beneficial to us. Mm-hmm. Well, Trent, you were going to talk um, a little bit about some of the LRP programs? Yeah, yeah. I almost forgot about that. Livestock Forest Disaster Program. Some of us in Oklahoma will likely qualify for this program in 2020. And yeah, I'll read off some narrative here off the fact sheet. It's good to go to USDA websites and just look up Livestock Forest Disaster Program fact sheet. I'm reading off of the July 2018 version. But there's different uh, 
you know, to determine the eligibility for drought, there's different levels and that's all based off of the drought monitor. So for a D2 severe drought, uh, we have to have at least eight consecutive weeks during the normal grazing period in a county to be eligible and that would equal one monthly payment. And if we go to D3 extreme drought, if we have, uh, you know, at any time, okay, so when you get to extreme drought, it's any time during the year that you have uh, that in your county, that's eligible to three monthly payments. Going to another level of extreme, D3 extreme drought, if you have four weeks consecutively or rated D4, you're eligible for four monthly payments. And then when you get to D4 exceptional drought uh, for four weeks, not necessarily four consecutive weeks, we get up to five monthly payments. And those monthly payments are, it's a yearly thing that gets determined by the state committee. So uh, sometimes that can change and you just need to look at your uh, most recent fact sheets or talk to your FSA office. But, you know, more eligibility on that will come out later on. Uh, some counties have qualified, but we'll get through further through the year and determine how much we're going to qualify for. But that'll be useful to a lot of producers to get some some relief for. And basically, that's just meant to to give some relief for that extra feeding that we talked about. If you run out of grass and you have to purchase feed, that's the kind of the idea behind that program, but something to keep in mind moving forward. So do they have to apply for that like preemptively or can they, or they apply for it after it has happened? It has to be after it happens because okay. we have to uh, determine the amount of drought. So we'll go through this year and I'm not going to get too much into, into it though. We'll, we'll, like I said, we'll go through some of that, uh, later on if, if sign up occurs and, uh, we get some more information from FSA on whenever people need to start actually calling in and, and getting some of those, uh, programs rolling, but not necessarily something we need to worry about right now, but, but it will come up. All right. Well, that kind of wraps up our talk on rangeland management and kind of, a drought slash semi-drought for some of the state but you know it, we've received some recent rainfall but this will be something we have to watch throughout the year because weather patterns don't seem incredibly favorable for for rainfall mm -hmm. right at the moment so we'll keep you updated with things we see but we thank you for joining us and we'll catch you next time we hope you've enjoyed what you've heard if you would like to hear more or follow up on the topics discussed please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.